here. So we'll let people come in a little bit. It's set up. I see we're on Facebook. YouTube is opening up. It's set up. I see we're on Facebook. Turn off all these other devices here. All right. So we are live. Um, all right. So I want to welcome everybody to the Onyx Report. I hope all is well especially with as much as going on as much going on as there is um, today is is a treat uh, for those of you who know about the work uh, a handful of us have been doing to develop black male studies um, and I normally kind of go through my paces as far as uh, introducing, you know, a number of different uh, articles, but I, I don't know if I'm gonna have the patience to do that today because I've been waiting to talk to this brother for a minute. Uh, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna give some people time to come in. Uh, shout out Adam Williams, what's up? Ian, Ian's in the house. Uh, hello, Zama. We got Ron Matthews. Um, what's going on with you? Black to Death, what's up? Enigma, Adam, uh, Oren. Shing uh, Shang, AB Media, what's going on? Just gonna let some people pour in for a minute. Uh, let me post some things here in the comments for us. So please make sure you support the show. Um, the Onyx Report is every Wednesday at 5 uh, p.m. Pacific, as you can see. Right. Uh, let's see, we got Green Gorilla in here, Crimson Cure. What's going on, Kendra? Right. Make sure if you're on YouTube and you're coming in, please hit the like button uh, and also uh, subscribe if you haven't already subscribed to the channel. Um, see, we're getting in here. All right. Got a few people coming through. I see Richard Honeywell. What's going on? I know you're exhausted, brother. Appreciate you stopping in. <laughs> um, see Terry. What's going on? Johnny, Sinatra, Adisa. What's happening out there uh, in uh, San Diego? Dr. Curry. I'm glad you joined us. This is this is one I was excited about. I was telling you about before. I know it's late out there. You, you know he's joining us from Scotland, so he's. Oh. On He's in the chat. Um, yeah. Yeah. I told uh, him about your book when I read the proof, man. So the brothers, he's definitely been supportive of you. Um, yeah. All right. Oh, wow. Thank you. Okay. So I'm, I'm hearing we may have lost sound on, uh, on Facebook. Did the sound come back in on Facebook? Let somebody let me know if the sound is in. See, we got Brother Sabron here. Jolie Average Brother, what's going on? Eric Hudson, shout out. Mr. Leach, what's Is up? Is my voice coming in a little late? I'm not sure. Can you hear me um, right now? Yeah, I can hear you. Um, it just might be the connection. Okay, Dr. Curry mm -hmm. says the sound came back in. Okay, so good. So it looks like we're straight. Uh, so let me just handle a little bit of, of business real quick. Those of you who are in know. 
The, uh, the, the Onyx Report is a program that critically analyzes the experiences, his, histories, and perceptions of black males in American society across age, class, region, sex, and profession. I'm your host, Dr. T. Hassan Johnson, Associate Professor of Africana Studies at Fresno State. Um, in the program, we examine current events, major issues, using an empirically driven black masculinist theoretical lens, uh, thus including such concepts as the black male dual economy, anti-black misandry, Tommy Curry's phallicism, the subordinate male target hypothesis, the black gynarchy, and many more. Our goal is to remind people, including black men themselves, of black men's humanity. Um, so with that said, as you can see, I'm, I'm speaking with one Dr. Siri McDougall III, who is now a professor in the Department of Pan-African Studies at Cal State University, LA, just transferred from San Francisco. Um, he received his bachelor's in sociology from Loris College in Dubuque, Iowa. Uh, additionally, he has an MA in Africana Studies from State University in New York at Albany and a PhD in African-American Studies from Temple University in Philly. So he and I both went to Temple. I did my master's there. He did his doctorate. Um, he is also co-director of the Afrometrics Research Institute. He is the author of an, an, uh, an incredible text that I've used uh, in a number of courses dealing with research methods and Africana studies. But he's also author, and this is the book we're going to be talking to him about today, of Black Men's Studies, um, which I'm really excited about, Black Manhood and Masculinities in the U.S. Context. Now, this book came out just like what you said in the last month, right? Can you hear me, Dr. McDougall? Uh oh, we might have a sound issue. Dr. McDougall, can you hear me? Yes, sir. Okay. I was saying you said your book came out in the last month, right? Yeah, I think my voice may be coming in a little bit late. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, we're getting it going. Yes, Shout I can hear you. Can you hear me? I can hear you now. Yeah. Uh, Adam Williams, uh, thanks for the support. Crip Hop Nation, thanks for the support. It's Brother Leroy coming in. Uh, BGS, good to see you in here. Um, so tell us, now, the way I like to start, I like to interview, um, you know, my guests and really kind of start from, you know, how you grew up, how you, you know, what kinds of experiences shaped your outlook and kind of get to, you know, how you develop the mindset to even produce this book. And then we get into the book itself. So if you wouldn't mind, Dr. McDougall, tell us, you know, like, where did you come up and, and, and what was your experience uh, kind of growing up and, and, and developing into a, a young man? I think we might have lost them. Do, can you hear me? Okay, hold on. Let's, let's see what's happening. Yeah, so I grew up in Chicago on the south side of uh, south side of Chicago in what's known as Bronzeville. And um and looks like you can't hear me. No, I can hear you now. Go ahead. But so my model for um, manhood, I didn't really reflect on until I was until I was uh, much older. But they were definitely people like my grandfather and my own father. And my family really didn't talk a whole bunch about um, race uh, and racism and or gender, manhood and masculinity in an overt kind of a way but just through modeling and um, examples and pride 
and who we are as a uh, as people of African descent, as black people, especially in in a place like Chicago, and um, a lot of uh, love and support. So that's what I have to credit for anything I am today. Okay. Now, as far as your 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 education, like what kind of experience did you have growing up in that context? Right. I went to uh, several different schools, small schools on the south side of Chicago. Um, I went to actually a small church school in um, called Christ the King Lutheran School on South uh, on Lake Park. Mm -hmm. And it was intimate environment. And then I went to um, Hales Franciscan is an all male, all all black boys school on the Mm -hmm. south side of Chicago. Okay. Yeah. Would you, as far as going to an all boys school, would you recommend it? What would you say about that experience? Um, I would, I would recommend it. I'm a big fan of, uh, of, um, single, single sex academies. Um, I don't believe that they should all be that way, of course, you know, just in the name of choice and variety, but they have to be done the right way. You know, a lot of these, because a lot of these, uh, the single um, sex academies, like all black, all male academies, if they're not thought out, if they don't intentionally take advantage of the fact that they have uh, all males, all black males in one place at one time and and address manhood and masculinity, um, instill pride um, and and do it in a really intentional way, then sometimes it can just be like warehousing black males that other other schools don't want to deal with. So now, as long we, as it's not that warehousing approach and it's intentional and, and thought out and they really take advantage of that, then it's uh, I think it's a great idea. Okay. Now we have a little bit of a delay. Are you, just so I'm, I know, are you watching us on the StreamYard link or are you looking at us through YouTube or Facebook, Dr. McDougal? Can you? Uh, I'm using the uh, Google link, stream StreamYard.com. Okay. Should um, I use something different? No. That's Would you recommend? It, but we, we, we might, what we might have to do is, is take you out and bring you back in. Cause the, the, the lag is a little long. Um, so I'm, can, can you, you, do you mind re-logging in? Okay. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to take you out and I'm going to see if we can bring him back in. Uh, okay. So I apologize, people. We're working with a variety of uh, new equipment, um, and it's 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 all kind of happening at once. So bear with me. Uh, we'll have Dr. McDougal back in in a minute. In the meantime, please support the channel uh, if you would. Appreciate that tip, Kendra. I'm gonna see if we can get the connection a little smoother in here, um, so we can kind of have a. a a conversation that flows a little bit better. I see more people joining. 
Uh, if you're coming in on YouTube, please make sure you like the show, subscribe, share the video. Um, and we'll go in from there. So I'm going to wait for him to come back in, and hopefully that will solve the problem. Let's see, Professor Conroe, good to see you. So he's not back in yet. Let's see here. Okay, so just waiting him for him to come back through. It's an excellent book, I can say that. I didn't, I haven't read the brand new uh, published version, but I did read the proof when it was going through an, another press. Let me see. Can you hear us, Doctor McDougal? Yes, sir. Okay, beautiful. Uh, and and I was talking about Dwayne Detterville before uh, a little bit earlier. Uh, that's the brother that shouted me out, told me to to look you up. And uh, Dwayne is a good brother, so I said, "Let me absolutely let, let me go ahead and do it." But I had already he didn't know I had already read the book, so I've been waiting uh, to get you in. So you were talking a little bit about uh, male schools, and you talked about how it, it can be effective if done right. Tell us what happened. So this I'm, I'm assuming is up through high school that you you went through this school, right? I I went only in high school. Okay, okay. Yep. So from there, where did you transition into? Um, from there, I went to a small school in, uh, actually in Dubuque, Iowa. It was called Loris College. I didn't they know like about, about 40, There were about 40 black students, 40 there black, 40, uh, black students on campus. Okay. All right. So from, 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 now how would you characterize that experience as far as your, your educational, you know, development? I tell you this, I think that we were on that campus, like 40 strong uh, black students, and they recruited most of their black students through the athletic programs. And so we ended up having um, having black students, uh, just a few black students, but it forced us to form a tight knit community. So, okay. yeah, we had a tight knit community. We did um, a lot of activity together. We took road trips together. So we 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 made a lot of progress looking back on it to be like a small group of students on, on a, a campus like that. Okay. Okay. Um, so what did you major in there? What was your, what was your, your, your focus at that time? I was a sociology and a history, uh, a sociology major and a history minor. Okay. All right. Um, yeah. Okay. So, so from we there... tried to get, Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. We tried to get like uh we wanted to get, um, Africana studies at that school, mm. which was a which was a hard bargain. But in doing that, it caused us to study like we studied other undergraduate programs in Africana studies and kind of like made our proposal to the university and everything like that. Okay, were you guys able to, to successfully do that, or what happened? We didn't. We didn't. But we got a um, we got the we got to establish something called the Black Culture Center. So we got, we actually got like a house on yeah. campus. Okay. Yeah. I had that same experience in undergrad. I remember that bait and switch, but um, all right. So graduate school, what, 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 what direction did you decide to go in? How did that come about? What happened? 
for graduate school, I wanted to go into um, Africana studies for sure. I was certain. Mm -hmm. um, but that was the first time I had been certain. I mean, I'd gone, I mean, I knew that you're supposed to go to college after high school. I didn't really have an idea about specifically what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. But um, by the time I had graduated undergrad, I was sure what I wanted to do. So okay. I wanted to go into Africana studies and ended up applying to places like, I think I applied to Iowa, I applied to Temple University, applied to Albany, New York, SUNY Albany, upstate. Okay. okay. And you did your master's uh, and what was that experience like? The master's was just an immersion in scholarship. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I felt I, I got a profound sense of what I didn't know. Okay. So that's what uh, that was. I had uh, Dr. Marcia Sutherland, um, who was a black psychologist, and just immersed in scholarship. You know, and I spent most of my time reading. Did you did you start to develop a sense of what direction your research was going to take you in at that time? At the time, I was so strongly influenced by Dr. Uh, Sutherland that I wanted to go into black psychology. Okay. Um, at, at that time, I thought that was the most powerful aspect of Africana studies was black psychology, just based on Dr. Sutherland's influence on me alone. Mm -hmm. um, and after that, I started getting into education more. Okay. Like learning styles was something I was really fascinated by at that mm -hmm. time. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So how long were you, were you there at that, point, at that point before you transitioned in the temple? I was there for two years. Okay. Um, did the, that master's program, two years, you, you do that, you have to, you take all the coursework, you have to finish your, you finish it. I mean, obviously, you know this, what I'm preaching to the choir, but you have to finish the, finish the thesis, but they didn't have a, um, we had comps there. I mm -hmm. think. And then I went from there to, um, Temple University. Okay. Okay. Now, what it, yeah. it, did you start to come into a focus at Temple? How explain to us what that process was like for you? At Temple, I kept my I kept my learning styles interest, um, and I met some major scholars. So mm -hmm. I I ran into a lady by the name of Sonia Peterson Lewis. Mm, okay. who was the the toughest and I think maybe the, the definitely the in-class teacher I have ever uh, experienced. And she taught me what research was about. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. then I met Dr. Malefi Asante and Amal Azama. And okay. Asante, you know, he gave us, a, he was, he <coughs> taught us what it means to be a professional. Okay. You know? Like your charge, you have one charge. Your charge is to advance the discipline. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So that gives you a lot of direction right there. Like mm -hmm. this is why you're here. You're here to advance the discipline. If you're not, then you're in the wrong place. Okay. Yeah. So so what would you say your doctorate research ended up becoming? What was your focus at that point? It was black males uh, and learning styles. All right. You All know? right. So you, you came out the gate mm -hmm. dealing with black males. Beautiful. But I didn't think that that was my thing. I at the time, only now looking back, 
do I see like that there was a little uh, there was a pattern? Mm-hmm. You know, but at the time I did not know yeah. that I was gonna. Yeah, <laughs> at the time I didn't know I'd be focusing on black males. Okay, so so you're doing research on education and black males. You still didn't kind of know that that's the direction you were gonna go, um, and and from there, you know. How would you say you, you because you, did you start at San Francisco State at that point? Where did you go after your doctorate? Um, after my PhD, I, I applied and went to San Francisco State. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. And 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 how did your research develop while there? How long were you there? What did you do? Um, at, at San Francisco State. I I got my experience, I think I would say my education on what it means to be a teacher Mm. and um, to be a teacher and a mentor. Because, you know, in in graduate school, you you know, you have to do your your research and all of this stuff. You do have to do some teaching, you know, (laughs) Um, maybe teach some some uh, law division classes, et cetera. But how to really be a teacher? I learned at San Francisco State. I think I learned like a real deep history of the discipline while I was at San Francisco State. Mm-hmm. And I learned how to be a mentor okay. at San Francisco State. I was there for 13 years. 13, okay. And that's a that's a highly political environment between between there, Berkeley and, and Cal State LA. You're talking about a, a you know a triangle of of high level of you know Absolutely. political involvement. How did you navigate that? while, or I should say, how did that, if, if it did, how did it shape your research? I've, how, did it, how did it shape my research? I think it gave me a sense that the stakes are high. Okay. You know, mm-hmm. the stakes are high. There's always a, a there's always something critical Afoot. There's always uh, we were always relating. At least the people I kept myself in the company of um, were always relating what we were doing to advancing the discipline. You know, like Dr. Asante um, said, but there the students are highly political. They're always advocating for something, mm-hmm. you know, for something against something. Mm-hmm. So the the stakes the stakes were always high. Okay. You okay. know. So yeah. you, you recently, you know, just transitioned transitioned into Cal State LA, um, yeah. And and you you put this book out. Tell us about where your research is today, and what you know what helped, what urged you what pushed you to to put this book out. Okay, so definitely to uh, those questions, I think the answers are the answers are related. Um, as far as this book, though, um, I wrote this book because I didn't see black men adequately reflected mm. um, in the literature about black men, specifically in terms of gender, manhood, and masculinity. Um, when I went to, I, go to conferences regularly. When I went to conference presentations about black men, they were, the information, the presentations were very one-dimensional, one-sided. Their black males, very nature, highly problematized. 
hypermasculine, hypersexual um, black men were represented as either ineffectual, impotent, um, unintelligent, or aggressive, criminal, threatening. But there was no middle middle ground where mm. the, the normal range of black men is, which is where most men oh crap are underrepresented. You know, mm -hmm. so. I felt that there was just a lack of, uh, you know, to use a, a statistical term, a, a lack of external validity, you know, in the scholarship of black men. Now, I want to apologize to people watching. I'm having some, I had some technical difficulties for a minute, so bear with us. So, okay. So you, you, in terms of what you're seeing with black males, what are the different environments that you're noticing this lack? How would you say you, how would you characterize that? In professional um, environments, in um, conferences, okay. uh, in scholarship, mm -hmm. you know, published scholarship mm -hmm. about black men, specifically, again, you know, in terms of gender, manhood and masculinity. Okay. Now, I don't I don't know if you recall this, but the first time I met you, we were in it was a, a National Council for Black Studies conference in Texas. And. It, the first session I walked in on was a discussion about black males and K through 12 education. I think it was it was entitled something you know about how to make them want to go to school. Or do they want to go to school? It was something along those lines. And I was yes, sitting there yes. listening in the panel. It got down. There was no data. There was no, it was it, it just was a discussion about my sister's you know son and my cousin's you know grandson and. And these anecdotal kind of discussions. And I was literally starting to catch on fire. I was so frustrated sitting there. And, you know, everybody in the round, around the room is taking this in. And I look over and I see this brother sitting in the back looking as angry as I did. <laughs> and, and then from there, you know, you started to, you know, kind of pose some questions that let me know I wasn't the only one in the room that understood, you know, what was missing from the dialogue. So that was actually the first time I'd actually met you. Um, and I, I didn't realize at that point that your research methods book was something I was already using. So I didn't know that was you, but um, you know, I could appreciate, you know, the, the even in the questions you asked and, and the challenges you posed in that session that you had an appreciation for actually looking at the, at the data, looking at the ground, looking at what black males are going through and it wasn't enough for you to just limit the discussion to these kind of anecdotal, you know, um, you know, somebody's 12 year old cousin didn't like school because he had a bad day. You know, you actually were pushing to take that research a little further. So I'm not sure if you remember that, but that was that was my first introduction to Siri McDougal. Um, but tell us about the book. How did it come about? What what you know, how did you decide on the scope of it, the focus of it? Walk us through that. Well, one, I, you know, one thing I have a hard time doing is uh, hiding my face, my my reactions, my facial expressions give give things away. So I was definitely noticing that that <laughs> casual, anecdotal, personal opinion based um, approach to understanding black males, which is okay, but it's uh, it it passes, it, it's accepted when it comes to black males. Mm -hmm. Where it's like it's, it's unsystematic, and of course, the systematic research it forces you to capture um, 
a wider range of opinions and experiences when it comes to whoever's being studied. And that, in this case, black males. But um, your question about the book, like how is it laid out, I think? Well, you, how did you actually, before we get to that, you know, how did you begin to conceptualize it? What were some of the things that, you know, motivated you? Uh-oh, let me see. Did I lose the brother? Yeah, I lost him. I'm sorry, people. This is this is really weird. I haven't had these kind of problems with StreamYard yet. Um, I'm, I guess I'm going to have to wait, wait for him to come back through. But I did not boot him. So I think there he goes. Sorry about that. Okay. No, nah, it's, it's been yeah. a weird day. I'm having some technical issues over here, too. So, again, I apologize to those listening, but thanks for bearing with us. 125 people watching. Please make sure you hit the like button on YouTube, share, and subscribe. Also, please make sure you support the show. We're here with Dr. Siri McDougal III, Cal State LA, author of um, Black Men's Studies. So tell us, like, you know, how did you conceptualize the book and, and you know, where were you? What, what place were you in in your life where you just really began to put this, to write this book, to get it in, to write it down? Um, actually, when I was doing this book, I was writing about other topics um, related to Africana studies and teaching. And I, uh, I really abandoned a lot of those ideas that I had mm -hmm. because I was just so disappointed with what was out there. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I'm mm -hmm. like, I can't find my grandfather in any of the scholarship about, I don't see my father represented in any of this mm -hmm. uh, writing about black males. So the way I, um, um, I wanted to write it was to relate, to locate contemporary issues, you know, in, in a way that was grounded in historical and cultural context. And I really started the book out with a chapter on black males and culture okay. because it, it really, it highlights the humanity, the personhood of black males, which is what one of the main things I think gets lost in these uh, popular stereotypes about black men, you don't get to see who they are as, as uh, persons, which okay. I think is the, the basis of that individual in, invisibility research. Uh, shout out to Big Cali and to Deadset Anime for the support. Um, now, this is this is not this is not a coffee table text. You're not going to get through this book in 30 minutes. You know, uh, sitting in the barbershop, you actually have put together a major uh, text. Tell us the length of it and and the scale in terms of some of the 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 you know chapters that you've you framed in this. Yeah, it's about four hundred and sixty pages, approximately a little yes. over. Yeah, there's uh, chapters on culture, on um, manhood and masculinity. Mm -hmm relationships, family, mm -hmm. education, politics, economics, and healthcare, health and well-being. Beautiful, beautiful. I mean, there's some chapters that are not there, you know, there, there's some things that are not there. Um, there's not a, like an entertainment chapter per se, <laughs> you know? Okay. But I mean, I say that to say, I, not to divide, because uh, it's uh, it's something that's in that you'll find in other chapters, like sports mm -hmm. chapter, economics chapter, you know, in, in culture, 
chapter, you find some things on on uh, economics and spirituality is more like throughout the entire mm-hmm. book. That's why there's no no dedicated chapter on that because it's okay. a part of the the basic approach. Okay, can you can you tell us about a few more? Because I think you, you this is pretty this is pretty substantive. And when I read the proof, first I fell out of my chair because I was like, you know, I was I was surprised that you know this level of detail was something that uh, you know I think presses were finally kind of ready to deal with. But um, well, maybe it, maybe I can. You, in the intro, you start out where you're talking about trying to see black men and boys. Uh, what do you mean by that? Trying to see. To see. Okay, so there is this wonderful like a uh, chapter in um, the book of Water and the Spirit by Maladoma Somate. Mm-hmm. And he's talking about a um, a traditional a Dagara rite of passage where the participants, the boys who are participating, had to learn how to open a, a different a, a different eye. They had to be able to see, to mm-hmm. see from a spiritual standpoint, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So um, he had the, the the elders had the boys looking at a tree. And mm-hmm. they were supposed to look at that tree until they could see the tree. And they didn't know what the heck the elders were talking about. Mm-hmm. And until they figured it out and they relaxed and they and they looked at the tr- into the tree and they saw the spirit of the tree. But the problem with Somay was that he talked about how he had to unlearn so much. He had to unlearn his his uh, education at the mission school that he went to, he was forced to go to, you know, to attend mission school. And it caused him to think these stereotypical things about um, his heritage and who he was as an African, as a Dagara man. Mm -hmm. And so he sat there longer than everybody else. Mm -hmm. And he had to wipe his eyes. And -hmm. what the elders meant when they said he had to wipe his eyes is that he had to forget he had to look past the nonsense that the Euro, the the Europeans had taught him about the his his people, so that he mm-hmm. could truly see um, the tree, the nature of the tree, the spirit. Mm-hmm. And um, what I'm arguing is that people have a very difficult time seeing black men. Yes, and that's because of the 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 anti-black male stereotypes about black men. Mm-hmm that color what people see when they hear us, when they talk to us, when they interpret what we say, you know, or whether they hear hear what we say at all, mm-hmm. you know? So I think that there has to be a wiping of the eyes when it comes to um, really, truly understanding black males. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Those of you, I put it up on the screen. Uh, hopefully we won't have any tech issues with it at this point, but uh, you can see black men's studies, black manhood and masculinities in the U.S. context. Right. So this is definitely the text to check out. Um, from there, you delve into black male cultures. You look at uh, black males, racial identity, anti-black maleness. Uh, talk to us a little bit about that. Uh, what would how would you frame it? What is what to you is anti-black maleness? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's several terms to refer to it. I just think that I thought that anti-black maleness was a little more direct. And uh, Mm -hmm. when I'm talking about anti-black maleness, I mean, um, 
the racism, the sexism, the uh, combination of being both black and male and the, the institutional barriers and oppression that comes along with it. Okay. You know, based on that particular unique combination. Well, shout out to Ebony Knight for the support. Also, Bishop Red Pill, appreciate that. Um, now, when you talk about sexism, obviously one of the things that, you know, somebody new to this discussion in black male studies, black men's studies is, is this question of sexism. Because sexism, you know, in terms of how most people conceptualize it is, is generally something that can only happen to women and girls. How would you characterize sexism as it relates to black males? Well, I mean, the so sexism is basically the the ideology that one sex is naturally superior to the to the other. Mm -hmm. Okay. And and typically, it's in the form it is thought of in the form of um, of uh, men, you know, being that that um, having that ideology that they're superior to women. Okay. When you add, when you add both race and sex to the equation, that doesn't necessarily work for black males. This the the experience is way more nuanced. Mm -hmm. You know, so for example, if you you can't say black males are not being gunned down by the police um, only because they are black. Mm -hmm. It's because they're black and male, mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. know, and there's a pretty stark statistical reality that supports that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. It, it's, it's, a, it's a heck of a statistical difference to ignore, mm -hmm. you know. Now, have you had difficulty having that discussion in a gendered context? How has that experience been for you? Um, I think when presented like with the with the with the numbers, it's pretty clear. Mm -hmm. And um, the people I it, it could be the people that I surround myself with. Mm -hmm. um, but I haven't I haven't particularly had any difficulty with the people who I'm who I surround myself with understanding that, that reality that black males are not uh, you can't use this clean this this simple logic that black males are privileged by their um, their their sex and discriminated against because of their gender, mm -hmm. you know. Because mm -hmm. yeah. go ahead. No, that was that was okay. So so taking this concept of anti black maleness and especially when you talk about like police brutality, police homicide, and the numbers. Um, what are your reflections in relation to, you know, your book on what on the things we're seeing now, like the movements we're seeing take place, the protests that are going on? Uh, you know, how would you connect what you've written with the things that we're seeing? Yeah, um, I mean, it's definitely this is this is all within the tradition of uh, of white terrorism, mm. you know, on black people. Um, which, you know, I mean, it's experienced across uh, gender, but mm -hmm. as we know, the black males are, are remain like the, the primary targets that this type, this particular brand of, of, uh, of terrorist violence, mm -hmm. 
you know, police terrorism. Mm -hmm. And I mean, more likely than both white and Latino males to experience it. Mm -hmm. We know that um, they have traditionally, black males have traditionally been symbols of a threatening brand of manhood, of, of a manhood mm -hmm. and threats to power and privilege. I want to say white power and privilege, but the black males are a threat to the entire race power hierarchy mm. in in the country. You know, so I, I don't want to act like it's just it's just uh whites who benefit from the anti-black male black mm. maleness. Mm -hmm. You know? Okay. And it's particularly black males who demonstrate any level of assertiveness or defiance mm. that doesn't benefit uh, the status quo. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, let me see. Looking through a little more of how you've structured the text, um, you, you delve pretty extensively into uh, black males, gender, manhood, and masculinities. Um, what is the tension there? What would you say is the issue with the whole question of masculinity? I know Dr. Tommy Curry has dealt with, uh, has done a lot of work in this area, and he questions the validity of masculinity in this con this time period. Well, how do you address that tension What in the text? What is your focus, would you say? I would say, I mean, that there's less tension than is present, that is uh, the tension, the true tension that's mm -hmm. being discussed is not as great as it's being presented as. Okay. You know, I don't think that black males manhood and masculinity is is as much of a problem as it's been uh, presented as. Okay. Black males, manhood and masculinity have been overly problematized, mm. you know? Okay. And of course those words, I mean, just to distinguish what I mean when I'm saying these words is similar to what um, Tyrone Howard or uh, mm. T. Elon Dancy, the way they define it, but it, I'm talk, when I talk about manhood, as I explain in this text, I'm talking about uh, values mm -hmm. associated with being a uh, man. Okay. Um, whereas uh, masculinity, when I use it, the term, I'm, I'm speaking more to um, performance, mm. you know, the expression of uh, expression of manhood. Okay. So, but, but to address your point, Definitely, there's been like this this over problematizing of black males mm -hmm. and their very nature when it comes to gender as being either hyper or hypo yes. masculine. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Absolutely. No, again, no middle. Right. No middle ground. So, no nuance. So there, mm -hmm. No nuance. And nobody's nobody has any normative. Uh, masculinity, if you go with this uh, with this uh, particular angle. Mm -hmm. So all black males are a problem. Mm -hmm. If there's no middle ground, everybody's uh, extreme. Everybody's a problem, exists as a problem in some kind of a way. Mm -hmm. So we've managed to recreate this problem when it comes to, you know, what I mean, uh, du, du Bois posed a long time ago what it means to be a problem. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. Um, shout out real quick to Dr. Oshan Gadsden. He's in the in the uh, the chat over in, on Facebook. Um, welcome, brother. Good to see you again. Um, one of the things people don't talk enough about to me 
uh, are the social expectations on black males. And, and that's related to manhood and masculinity, but the social expectations in regard to that masculinity, whether it be in families, whether it be in relationships, whether it be as citizens, whether it be, you know, in any context, the, the kind of pressure on what exactly it, it means to be men and what others expect of you. Do you deal with that in this text and how do you kind of frame that if so? Yeah, there's something I want to give you the term actually. Um, there's a black male uh, who, who talks about this idea he has. Something he calls a gym. Mm. Hmm. A good, effective, mainstream model minority. <laughs> he, called, he talks about it as being a gym. Um, his last name's Hardy, but he's talking about how um, how in the in a professional environment his challenges, um, and he talks about how he has to maneuver the professional world so that he doesn't come across as uh, threatening. Mm -hmm. You know, absolutely. And so some people, I mean, some black males are in a position where they. Um, respond to anti-black maleness by trying to overconform, mm. you know, and to become um, unthreatening. And right. yeah, I mean, it's, it's that's just one response. I mean, some black men refused to uh, to do that and do the exact opposite. So right. there's so many responses that, to that it. Whistling Vivaldi yeah. approach, like you know, how you carry yourself will change how people deal with you and. And that becomes the prevailing, you know, philosophy. So, in other words, it, it it kind of problematizes black men by suggesting that we are our own problem. And if we just pull our pants up and, and we speak the proper king's English, then everything will be navigated far better, and we'll we'll we'll, we'll we won't have to deal with the, with racism in effect. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, shout out to T Fitness for you. Appreciate the support. Uh, Hood Scholar in the house on on uh, Facebook. Uh, shout out to you, brother. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to check it out, uh, Green Gorilla and Hood Scholar had an interview today that you should check out, especially when they go into uh, Ferguson and talk a little bit about that. So go over to Green Gorilla's channel on YouTube and check that out. I will be doing an interview with uh, the G with the PhD on Friday. So hopefully you'll check that out um, and I'll get you some more information at the time. I think I think we scheduled it for three I want to say 3 p.m. on Friday Pacific. Uh, so check that out. Now, going back to the text, you delve pretty deeply, I would say. I mean, it, it, this looks pretty extensive as far as relationships and intimacy. Um, why would you say that that, you know, required a great deal of, of depth and nuance? Um, what, what was your approach to that? Well, I wanted to address relationships for a few reasons. Um, one, I think relationships has been. I wanted to. I, I wanted to address sexuality first, mm -hmm. and in order to address sexuality, I didn't want to address it in this kind of isolated like way that's separate from context. So I wanted to address it in terms of relationships. Okay. And also, I wanted to expand relationships beyond the uh, romantic relationships. I think a lot of times, relationships, I mean, people think the first thing you think about is romantic relationships. Mm -hmm. 
nothing wrong with that, but I wanted to start by talking about black males, friendships, mm. black male brotherhood, you know, um, mm. black male relationships in a much broader sense than uh, than it normally is. That's why it's you find it outside of the, the family section. Mm. Yeah. Talk a little bit about the importance of brotherhood, especially now. How would you characterize that? Um, I think that for black males, it's really important to be surrounded by other black males mm -hmm. and um, a variety of other black males because black males themselves are are vulnerable to internalizing these ideas about what what they are and who they are. And thinking of themselves as the exception. That's what a lot of a lot of times people say. I don't know how many times you've you know, you you're a black man, you have your PhD and uh you you teach and um I guarantee you you have heard at some point, Dr. Johnson, um, you know, but you're different. You're not like the others. You know what I mean? It's a compliment, but it's also a thinly veiled attempt to separate you from other black males and to make you accept the bait. The bait is the compliment, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And the bait, it lifts you up, but the cost you pay is that you have to accept this idea that other black men are mostly bad. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So for black males to surround themselves by one another, I think is very important just as an affirmation of who they are. Mm -hmm. um, because we hear so much about ourselves, it's important to just have living reminders, mm. living living affirmations of who we truly are in our full humanity. Because otherwise, I mean, it can be hard to hit that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Shout out to Ronan Martin, appreciate the support. Um, okay, so what are some of the other kinds of relationships you tease out in the text? What, what, what are some of the things you look at from there? So I talk about, um, well, I'll start, I'll, I'll try to talk about some of the, the different ones. I mean, we've heard some, uh, some that we've heard a lot, um, but I talk about relationships between black men and coaches, mm. their coaches mm. times. Right. Uh, black, yeah, relationships between black males and, uh, uh, or black children in general, children and grandfathers. Okay. You know, we hear a lot about grandmothers, which is important, but mm. um, also the role that grandfathers play. Mm. I uh, talk about the role that peer groups, and I'm talking about young people, mm -hmm. um, young men and their peer groups, mm -hmm. relationship between black boys and mothers. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so those which, are- which is, which is pretty important. Uh, when you factor in the percentage of our families that are, are single parent, particularly single mother led, that becomes an extremely important socialization uh, issue in terms of that. And one of the things I found is when you relate, you know, the single mother dynamic to the majority of teachers, you know, being female, what you end up seeing for boys in particular is that, you know, the majority of their, you know, K through 12 life uh, and even college, if they go to college and you factor in the percentage of female faculty, they are spent being socialized with female authority figures. How do you, uh, how would you, how would you assess that in terms of how that impacts uh, boys and young men in particular? 
Wow, I think that that uh, I can't cite the you know Tom, you know Tommy Tommy kid he's he he uh, he probably knows right now what study I'm thinking of but um, the I can't think of the study it was one done on favoritism or bias mm -hmm. race gender and bias in mm -hmm. um, in teaching and mm -hmm. in particular one uh, the the one that comes to mind was how um, a blind study kind of showed that that black males were rated lowest by white female teachers mm -hmm. and white female teachers had higher ratings for uh, student profiles who were who ended up being white females mm -hmm. followed by white males black females and then black males last mm -hmm. so if you have the folks who have the the highest levels of stereotypes about black males being their primary teachers, you know, then you you put black males in a situation where it makes uh it makes sense. I mean it shouldn't be, but it makes sense that they're they're over stigmatized, their their uh suspension and, and expulsion rates are disproportionate mm -hmm. when you got somebody who who's offended who's offended by their facial expressions. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. <laughs> offended by the way they walk. No, absolutely. Yeah. Shout, shout out you to James, James Strickland for the support. Um, I can say I have a I have a 14 year old son. And one of the things I noticed even and I've, and I've told this story before, but um, even as early as kindergarten, one week into kindergarten and they wanted to put him in special ed. It had nothing to do with his performance of the tasks in class. It was strictly about uh, these, you know, white teachers not really knowing how to engage black male students. But you're talking about a kid that was reading 700 page Harry, Harry Potter books in first grade. And yet, if you left it to them, he'd have been relegated into, you know, special ed at the snap of a finger. And I think that happens a great deal to our young black male students and it has nothing to do with academic prowess. So I hear what you're saying in that regard. Yeah, highly subjective reasons that black males get uh, um, suspended or kicked out of class. And whereas uh, when it comes to white students, that when something happens to them where they have to be expelled or suspended, it's because they they made a clear infraction of the rules. But for mm -hmm. black males, it's things like being disrespectful or a teacher being threatened. Mm -hmm. And and that's a subjective thing, right? Feeling threatened doesn't have anything to do uh, necessarily with what the child is doing. It can very well just be the teacher's own preoccupations. So that's a, that's a highly stigmatized one right there. The whole question of, of threat, Absolutely. right? And we know mm -hmm. some of the research data tells us that even as early as five boys or black boys are seen to be older and more threatening than than they actually are. Absolutely, yeah. You know, uh, now looking at education, you have a pretty extensive chapter uh, dealing with education, and and I'm and I applaud that. I really do enjoy it. I mean, it, it's it, it you know, as the brother said, it's the text is over four hundred pages which I like. Now, I had a chance, one of the presses that he was, he was looking at sent me the proof of the book. Uh, I couldn't put it down. And, and, and the editor asked me, she said, well, you know, do you think this would be too long? And I was like, no, I want every single page 
<laughs> put out the way it is right here. You know what I mean? So I'm glad that they they that you chose a press that allowed you to just really put the whole text out. But you give a good amount of attention, over 60 pages into this whole question of black education. How would you how would you kind of, you know, if you could tell us what, what what's your outlook on black education as it pertains to boys and, and what would you urge people to consider uh, based on what you've written here in the book? I would urge people to to approach it with an understanding that the solutions are not are not a secret at this point. Mm-hmm. That there is kind of a commitment intellectually, I think, and politically to focus on um, black male problems in education. And that's to me is purposeful at this, it's willful at this point. Mm-hmm. There are too many people who um, have, have done, who have successful models for what works. And mm-hmm. I try to highlight, highlight those key uh, factors in, in that education chapter. And you write, it's the longest book in the uh, entire, it's the longest chapter, I'm sorry, in the, in the entire book. Mm. And I would, I would urge people to look at it and look at the sources because it's heavily sourced. And um, yeah, I, I purposefully identify what the challenges are, but focus on the solutions in there. And um, yeah. Can you, can you oh, shout out to Alton Prayer for the support? I uh, appreciate that. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about some of the examples you point out? Like, because when you say, you know, the solutions are there, they're evident. We, we, we see what works. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about which ones you advocate for, which, which schools or which examples you point to? If, for example, like if, for example, we talk about black male success in higher education, black male involvement in support groups is related to higher achievement and matriculation. That's something that we know we know we uh, for a fact. We know that um, when black males have same race, same gender role models in on in higher education, we know that that increases their resilience. We know that when they're exposed to uh, classes that reflect their culture, cultural heritage, their intellectual heritage, that they have a higher level of engagement, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the sense of uh, they put forth more academic effort mm-hmm. in those cases. We know that that, that that works, you know. We know that when they have a strong sense of, of racial gender identity, you know, themse- sense of themselves as black men, we know that they're protected better from the anxiety that they would otherwise feel when they experience anti-black maleness on campus. So we know that we need to enhance that, their race, gender, um, sense of identity. Mm-hmm. All of these things we we know works for black males on college campuses, mm-hmm. you know, and, and especially when they have a, um, a male support group, you know, not just the the BSU, obviously, Black Student Unions, for example, but also male support groups, you know, 
we mm -hmm. these are just a couple of things that there's empirical evidence that works. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You now, especially when you factor in, you know, on the and on the uh, you know higher education level, you're talking about about forty five thousand black uh, educators at the college level across the country, right? So you, you, we're already looking at you know, this kind of context where you have a low number of us represented. And out of that, of course, you, you know, you have, you know, more more women than you have men. What impact would you say that has on uh, college students, just the, the, the gender representation? Because I know for me, I didn't even have, my first black male teacher, I didn't have until like the latter half of my junior year of, of undergrad. You know what I mean? So I, I had not had the chance to see that. And I noticed it had a, a very visceral effect on me like for me to even, you know, just be able to just, say, you know, look at this teacher who looked like me and who was talking about, you know, my experiences, even though I really, you know, I, I had not told him that, you know, he's, he's coming from it historically. He's looking at the research to hear that experience being talked about in an academic context with depth, with nuance, with research. It blew my mind. And it really transformed, you know, my whole shift in terms of what I wanted to do with my life. But what would you say is the ongoing impact and, and, and you know, really even on a nuanced level of not having those black male teachers or professors, you know, it, it, for black males in particular? And yeah, did, you I mean, if you, did I have that experience? Yeah, I, I think if you if we flip it, you know, and we take it back to take it, take it back. Uh, 100 years or so, and we're talking about um, Black women's experiences on college campuses where they're, um, they may be they're underrepresented in the classroom, you know, and the impact that that has on them, their um, hesitation to go to express themselves, um, those kind of things. You, look at it today, black males are underrepresented in the classroom, you know, and it can have a similar effect. It can have a similar effect where, you know, black men are actually, uh, in some cases, worried about expressing themselves, you know, in the classroom, and they may remain quiet in the classroom because they, they may be worried that they're not heard or they're concerned about how they're being seen. But as you also know, Sometimes it only takes one. It only takes one strong model, mm -hmm. you know, a person who sees you uh, uh, or affirms you, and uh, and that can carry you through. Somebody who sees something in you that you may not see in yourself, mm -hmm. you know, and that would that would definitely be the case for me um, when I was uh, when I was in all black all middle school. I told you about. I was in a classroom uh, and there was a black male. Um, his name's Mark McConney. He um, he pulled me aside and he said, "I think you should be in another class, you know, as an honors class." And he mm -hmm. he took me out of there and, and put in, and and put me in another in another class. And that so he, he put you in I an mean, honor, honors honors class. Yeah, he put me in an honors class, mm -hmm. and I didn't understand. I didn't why, you know, I didn't <laughs> see any. Right. Why, I don't see why would you do that? So like just to. To have somebody see you like that and be looking out for you or or be a, a strong mentor for you is a powerful thing. 
you know, and um, we just need to increase black males exposure to people who can be that for them, mm -hmm. you know? The challenge with having not enough black males on campus as faculty is that uh, young young brothers may not run into the uh, the kind of mentor who's best for them in particular, because they may not be running into a variety of black males yes. on campus. They may come into contact with a couple or a few. Um, and then, you know, there are just some good some good teachers, you know, who may not be black, uh, black men who are um, supportive, you know? No, and that's, and that's an excellent point. Different types of black men, right? You, 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 you actually are able to connect with a wider variety of young black males. Um, I was, I was, my mentor uh, in undergrad and in Africana studies was Dr. William Little uh, at Cal State Dominguez Hills. Um, the late Dr. Dr. Little, so uh, you know, much appreciation to him. Um, and he he produced, you know, there was a couple generations of us that came out of that. I think some of the brothers you may be familiar with, um, you know, who came after me at Dominguez, like uh, Justin Gamage, who's actually yeah, at Dominguez Hills now. Jonathan Fenderson, Chris Benson, yeah. you know, some of these brothers. We all came out under Dr. Little's influence, and he came in. Mm. And he made it a point to seek us out, you know, and he kind of grabbed us by the, you know, by the neck and said, come over here. You know, I, I had founded the Pan-African Union while I was there and I was just, you know, trying to find my place. And Dr. Little came in and, and turned it from a program to a department and sought us out. You know what I mean? He looked for the leadership. He looked for the brothers that that had, had really didn't have any support, but had something to say. And, he, you know, unlike a lot of people, of course, he wasn't intimidated by us or none of that, which was a new experience to, to you know, to, but, you know, he brought us together and he kind of gave us a path. And, you know, as far as I was concerned, I was I was ready to graduate and, and just go find whatever job I could get. And kind of like what you're describing when you had, you know, that mentor put you in an honors class. Um, he said, no, you need to go to graduate school. And, you know, hmm. nobody had said that to me. Nobody had told me that. As a matter of fact, and I've shared this with, before with my audience, when I was in high school, our guidance counselor told us that, uh, you know, uh, community college was just as good as Harvard. They were the same thing. So you had a generation of, of us going to community college and never even finishing with our, you know, with, with any kind of AA degree because, you know, we just a lot of them didn't really have any support. Um, but I, I went to Cal State Dominguez and, and it was really because of, you know, men like Dr. Little that uh, they put a foot to our behind, but did it in a loving way where you knew it wasn't coming from any kind of, you know, mm -hmm. superiority mm -hmm. or we weren't somebody's liberal project. This was coming from a black man that understood what was going to happen to us if he wasn't there, mm -hmm. even though we were getting degrees, you still had the same kind of experiences. So, you know, there was definitely something very real and uh, very important about having a black male do that. Um, and so he was the reason I ended up going to Temple. I wasn't, I wasn't thinking about grad school. It, it's similar to how it sounds like you weren't thinking about honors class because that wasn't something anybody had introduced to me. Nobody had said that that's something that, that I could do, that I might have a talent at, none of that, you know. Uh, so yeah. that makes a huge difference. Do you find that to be, uh, how do you, you know, experience that, about that? 
Yeah, I mean, if you ask, I mean, I think I, one time I asked a group of students who, like, um, if you can identify a moment or experience that led to your being here today, you know, and, and you know, always there's some students who say, I don't, I don't, I can't, uh, I'm not giving anybody else credit for. It. I mean, I did this myself, you know. <laughs> so you always get that, but a lot of people have that like experience, like with somebody who had this big impact on them um, that made them have confidence in themselves, what they're capable of, et cetera. It's just that with black men underrepresented in higher education and education in general, it's less, it's just less chances for black boys to run into men who can have that uh, impact on them. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that that's one of the things we have to do is increase their exposure to a uh, range of black men who could, who they could possibly have a connection like that, uh, like that too. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, it's this is a better time than any to yeah. do that with kind of the ways that we can connect to one another these days. Mm -hmm. So I think they, things are looking up in that sense. Okay, shout out to Underrated Darkness for the support. Um, uh, you now two two chapters that you have coming after uh, relationships. You deal with black men in politics and black male economics, um, and and I'm 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 happy that you did that. I I love that you structured them. You separated them, and and again, you know what I would say about you know uh, Dr. McDougal's text is it, it it allows us to get into the 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 small issues, the 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 little nuances that a lot of time. Uh, a lot of the time you don't have an opportunity to delve into. And so you could actually, you know, I'm talking to educators, especially you can give, you know, two, three page reading assignments that cover very specific issues. I mean, you have, you know, politics of the male movement, politics of male culture. You know what I mean? You're dealing with leadership and armed struggle, very particular detailed areas in the black male experience in regard to, and I'm just looking at politics at that moment. You have uh, over here, I would say over 25 different sub areas in that, just in that chapter alone. Um, what would you say uh, as far as characterizing uh, why you assess black politics in such fashion? Why such detail? Take us through a little bit of that. I want people to, I wanted, I wanted to give the, the reader um, a lot of historical context. So I um, I wanted to, to to give the historical context of black political involvement, what politics looks like for black males, because sometimes, um, you know, black males are presented as being um, apolitical. Uh, maybe they're, they're, they're voted, looking at the voter turn, even though the voter, voter turnout, you know, um, is, is uh, high, but but a lot of times black males are looked at as not at, not involved, but people are looking at certain kinds of political involvement. Mm -hmm. So so I wanted to give a range of ways that black males engage in politics and have engaged in politics. Because I didn't I don't want people to look at black male political involvement as this some recent phenomenon, mm -hmm. but that black males have a um, a range of ways of being being politically involved, mm -hmm. have always and consistently been politically involved, and being political is a part of black male heritage. 
mm-hmm. not something that needs to be taught to them, mm-hmm. you know, to be political, you know, but mm-hmm. how to be, I mean, of course, yes, everybody needs political education. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But sometimes we are black males are presented with this idea that they need to embrace a progressive masculinity, but black males have a progressive heritage mm-hmm. of uh, masculinity, you know, uh, that they can draw on. Absolutely. 130 in the chat. Please like uh, the show, share and subscribe. Um, I appreciate that that kind of nuance on black uh, male involvement in politics. And I would even link that to activism because it's interesting. One of the things I hear people saying on social media is that black males don't don't really participate in activism, that they, they're 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 never there. And even though I'm seeing the videos, I'm seeing black males present at, at every protest that I'm looking at. There's still this this idea that black men don't. And it sounds like your approach in the text allows us some nuance as to, you know, how to even interpret black male participation, right? Uh, yes. because, because if you know that uh, you, you have a, a, what is this one brother put it to me? <laughs> I asked him if, uh, I met this brother at a gas station once and it was right after a protest that I attended and I asked if he had gone and he said, nah, I got warrants. <laughs> just you know, yeah. but in the course of the conversation, he was saying he didn't participate in that because of his warrants, but he talked about other things that he did. He talked about working with youth. He talked about developing programs and things of that nature. So how would you kind of deal with activism in regard to black men and how to see it as you talked about before? Yeah. I mean, if we're talking about more, we have to be talking about more than voting to understand uh, black male political um, involvement. And you see, you turn on the television, you look at protests, you see black males mm-hmm. there. Um, people, when you talk about calling up political offices, black males do a lot of that, of, of uh, direct, direct um, interaction. Um, these kind of things that are, are ways of black male political involvement. And black male, you have to also have to consider uh, service as a military, uh, a mil- military involvement, black male's history of military mm. uh, involvement is a form of political involvement. The rebellions that black males led are forms of political, um, political action. Um, so community involvement, these kinds of things that black males do there their ways of being political. So mm-hmm. I think that if you start with the premise that black males are not politically involved, then it's hard to get them into other political uh, other political arenas because you start with a false uh, with a false premise. Mm-hmm. You know, there are different types of civ- civic engagement. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, from there, uh, like I said, you dealt with uh, black men in economics. Um, and then you extend from black men in economics, you transition to uh, crime and justice. Uh, I love, again, the nuance, the depth of that. Um, what would you say we misunderstand most about black men and economics? And, and, and real quickly, shout out to Professor Conroe, Conroe for the support. Uh, but going back to you, Dr. McDougall, what do you think what do you think we get wrong about black men in economics? The range of the range and the history of black male political, I'm, I'm black male economic um, entrepreneurship and um, and just ways that they've been a part of the economy. So black males 
we think about enslavement, the period of enslavement. And, you know, sometimes there can be an, a, a notion that black males were primarily working in the field. You know, it's kind of a dichotomous way we think about enslavement, working in the house as a domestic or you working as a laborer in the field. But actually, when you look at black males, um, black males involvement during enslavement, you find black males who were tanners, who were bakers, they were coopers, they were blacksmiths, they were goldsmiths, they were um, woodworkers. So black males have done that. They earn money during enslavement. They mm -hmm. use that money to purchase the, the, the freedom of their relatives. They started businesses as free black persons, barbershops, clockmakers, and they engaged in uh, apprenticeship mm -hmm. and trained one another and, all, and were always involved in a range of, of, of uh, economic areas and entrepreneurship. If we can establish, if we can get a true sense of black males economic history, then Again, just like politics and other areas, we realize that we, we not, we're not necessarily um, having to find some new energy drawing on our heritage mm -hmm. of uh, entrepreneurship as black men. So I wanted to explain that. And then I wanted to, uh, to explain how the current state developed, that it didn't emerge out of nowhere, uh, black males unemployment rates or black males underrepresentation in different uh, different areas of the economy that I wanted to give a history of the systematic shutout that was targeted at black males in different areas, all the way from the elimination or black males being targeted to be pushed out of of um, of job of certain jobs, whether they be jobs aboard ships or jobs aboard trains um, and and mills to make room for white immigrants and the multi-generational impact that that had. But, in it, but, but I mean, more than that, but current economic policies as well. So I gave the historical context and I really wanted to do that to, to make the present make a little more sense. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about employment. One of the things we know is before the, the pandemic, before the quarantine, in over 30 major cities, you had black males at 40 to 50% unemployment rates. Since the pandemic, what we're finding out is one out of two black folk in general are have lost their jobs. And there are still many who are, you know, who are, are temporarily quote unquote out, but they but they haven't been alerted to the fact that their jobs are no longer there. And, and you know, so and they're not considered unemployed as of yet, but um, it's more than likely they will be. So I think it's going to be more than 50 percent in due time of us who've lost our jobs. We have over 45 million filing for unemployment. Where do you see black men now uh, in regard to, you know, this kind of legacy uh, of employment you just kind of alluded to? Um, what, what do you see? Well, I think it would take a, it would take a lot to put this in full context right. because I think that that the first hit that happened during the housing market caused the economic uh, uh, sh shrinking of, the, of of certain areas of the economy that black men were concentrated in. 
the industrial areas, the manufacturing areas where there were there were a lot of cuts to that disproportionately impacted black males like that. How that housing banking uh, crisis area disproportionately impact employment for black males specifically. Mm hmm. You know. Mm hmm. Absolutely. Um, what do you kind of see happening right now? Um, shout out to Mr. Brick and Bridge for the support. Uh, what do you see happening now? Um, and, and, or, or do you do you see any areas where black males may be able to navigate this in some kind of way? Yeah, I think that the one this one the the spirit of uh, the spirit of entrepreneurship I think has been sparked in particular by this uh, by this time right now, mm -hmm. and I do think that it it presents an opportunity. Um, for black males in particular. And I think that that um, employment, there's a place, there's also a place for employment training opportunities, the kind of things that the Urban League uh, uh, does a lot of. Okay. Okay. But I think that that on on one, the black businesses, the the importance of supporting black businesses is definitely something that would have a, a immediate impact on black males in addition to like all of the policies that help that happen you mm -hmm. know like a, re a reduction of the, the taxes that new businesses have to pay or specifically businesses uh the grants and loans for for businesses that open up in um areas where black males are concentrated in mm -hmm. you know in cities employment um Contracts for workers who are doing doing work doing work in their their own neighborhood and black neighborhoods, it helps when it when there's a requirement that you have to hire workers from those areas. So, mid level skills training, I think all of those things would help. But primarily, I think the biggest the thing that would have the biggest impact would be um, of the growth and support of uh, black owned businesses. Okay, now now. Just to let y'all know, I didn't already lied to Dr. McDougal. I promised him an hour, um, and 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 I'm I'm milking every minute I can get out of every minute after that hour. So I want to apologize to you if I've held you, you know, too long. Oh wait, it's all good. <laughs> I'm good because <laughs> I, you know, that I'm 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 just gonna, trying to put it out there that you know you were generous enough to extend the hour, and I'm and I'm pushing it. But I did want to ask one last question: the 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 last chapter of this book. And I'm so appreciative that you did this. The last chapter of your book is on black male health and well-being. Um, and that's something that I know many of us grapple with. I know I do. Um, it's one of the things that, that you know, really, you know, kind of impacts the most. When you look at the top 10 causes of death, uh, before we can get to police brutality or uh, homicide in general or, you know, any of those kind of issues, the, the top one is heart disease. So, uh, but I'm sure you're dealing with that in a much more expansive way. Tell us about why you chose to do that chapter and what is important for us. To, to do that chapter, to... Let me say something before I answer that question. This whole book, the greatest thing that I think could happen from this entire book would be for Black males to to have conversations that they may not already be having, mm -hmm. you know, to 
to have conversations about things that haven't been that they may have thought about, but they haven't read, explained to them um, about even themselves, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think that the my my biggest hope would be for things like this, this chapter, which is not talked about a lot, yeah. to spark conversations among black males. Mm-hmm. That would be my number one, um, my number one reason for writing um for writing that that particular chapter because I know it's something that's not talked about as much, you know. But mm-hmm. having it there, I mean, I know that that it'll it'll at least spark conversation. So I wanted to do something that presented the barriers to health and as as well as the bridges for health um, to to health for black males, dietary habits, mm-hmm. um, all the way to black male the way black males think about going to the doctor, mm-hmm. you know, okay, and approaches to approaches to mental health, the way black males are treated in healthcare, mm-hmm. and black males' legacy of involvement in healthcare, in medicine. Okay, you talk know? a little bit about that. What do you mean? So, I mean, I wanted to talk about the history of black doctors. The history of black doctors is a, a history where black males, black males are, the, are some of the the earliest doctors in the black community. Of course, we had a tradition. We, we've always had healers in the black community. Mm-hmm. We had, had people who brought knowledge of African traditional healing uh, methods with them um, to places throughout the diaspora. And then, you know, there's the emergence of black doc, free black, black doctors in free um, communities during enslavement. Um, and after enslavement, there's the emergence of of lots of black doctors who have a who had a and, and uh, male doctors who were serving the black community, mm-hmm. you know, as a part of our our legacy of our heritage. Some of them couldn't because they couldn't serve uh, whites, you mm-hmm. know, during enslave during segregation. Of course, you had more black doctors, and then black people were going to black doctors, and then you had poor whites who couldn't afford the prices that uh, white doctors were charging them. They also went to black doctors. Mm-hmm. So there's a there's a long history of black males involvement in medicine. And I think that knowing that will not only influence more black males to be involved in medicine, but also to think more to think critically about uh their own health. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I wanted to give that history. Absolutely. Just to uh, to let people know, uh, tomorrow I'll be doing another 5 p.m. show with uh, one Nyota Uhuru. She's going to be talking about um, uh, activism. She's going to be dealing with the legacy of Ferguson and talking to us about what's going on now. And there's a very particular history that I think is important to deal with that uh, she's going to bring to bear, but she's going to relate it to some of the things that are happening now. So make sure you check back with us tomorrow. We are, uh, Again, it'll be on YouTube and Facebook. Uh, I, I will also, to my patrons, uh, my film review series, I will be looking at Life and I, the film Life, Eddie Murphy and uh, Martin Lawrence. I will be talking about that as well as uh, uh, the two Creed films. So uh, to my, my patrons, uh, be looking out for that this week. And if you haven't uh, joined Patreon, please make sure you do. Uh, I think you'll enjoy those. Um, 
Dr. McDougall, tell people where they can find you um, and, and give us some closing thoughts, if you will. Uh, but before you do, I just want to definitely make sure you know I am definitely excited and happy that this book is out. I'm going to be telling everybody about it. I will be using it alongside Dr. Curry's The Man Not next spring when I teach my Black male class. So I want to thank you for your efforts. I want to thank you for publishing this. But tell us where to, where we can find you and, and give us your, your closing thoughts. Um, so you can find me at, uh, I work at Cal State LA in the Pan-African Studies Department, but also on the website Afrometrics, which is located at afrometrics.org, um, which is where I publish some um, articles and um, have several peer review articles coming out soon. So I'll be in a library search database near you. Okay. Uh, so. And I guess as far as um, closing remarks, I think that what I tried to do here is write a book for people who are interested in understanding black males more. Mm -hmm. um, that was my main motivation for doing it to write and, and also to write it for black males to, to form study groups and to discuss their own lives and talk about what they what makes sense to them and what doesn't make sense to them and critique the book and um, and have conversations. Mm -hmm. um, so with something that's historically grounded and solution oriented and research based as opposed to um, something that's largely uh, anecdotal, mm -hmm. you know, about black males. And I wanted to highlight black males self-determination, you know, as um, to focus more on their agency than what, what happens to them, what happens to them, you know, what they do for themselves and challenge misconceptions. And if that's something that you're interested in, then um, please grab the, this book. I, I would be remiss if I didn't say I, I did not write this for. There, there, there is a, a segment I did not write this book for. I did not write this to, book to convince anyone to see the humanity in black males. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, if there anyone who holds like negative attitudes about who black males are, I did not write this book for you. I don't want a dime of your money. Um, <laughs> I don't. Don't flatter yourself. I wrote this book so black males could live and thrive healthy in an environment where I know that they'll be confronted by someone like you. <laughs> but, but for people who are for black men and for people who want to better understand black males um, that's who I wrote this book for and I would absolutely love to hear any and all feedback about it um, it can only benefit and, uh, and, and improve the work uh, going forward Mm -hmm. And I hope that it contributes to something uh, positive, some positive organizing and self uh, and understanding of uh, of black men going forward. Um, and that that would be a that would be a beautiful thing for me. So mm -hmm. my email address is smcdoug at calstatela.edu. Mm. So any beautiful. feedback, please let me know. 
I want, I want thank to you very much, Dr. Johnson, for the opportunity to, to be able to speak to your audience and for having this uh, platform, which I'm glad. I wish I knew about this platform a long time ago, but I know about it now, and I'm going to be a, a faithful uh, listener um, and hopefully participant again. Much appreciated, man. I appreciate you giving the time and talking about the book. Um, I want to shout out Damon Harris as well as Mr. Breckenridge for extending more support. That's much appreciated. Uh, Y'all know how I like to close out. I'm here to tell my brothers we are not criminals by birth, perennial rapists, incapable intellects, man children, sperm donors, child support wellsprings, success objects, walking phalluses, ATM machines, lottery tickets, unpaid bodyguards, interchangeable stepfathers, child discipline proxies, unpaid repairmen, workhorses, or any other socially accepted dehumanizing stereotype. We are thinkers, inventors, innovators, leaders, fathers, and men. Embrace your humanity, know your, your worth, and extend your time, attention, and resources only to those who genuinely respect you. And remember, your worth is not defined by meeting other people's narcissistic, selfish, and unrealistic needs. You define your worth. Peace. Thank you, everybody.